you know, this will eventually pass and we will get through this. We're not going to spend, you know, time in lockdowns forever that, you know, there will be an outcome and, you know, the hospitality industry will bounce back and um, all the things that we've missed out on over the last 18 months, they will eventually, you know, come back to us. And I really believe that that time will is hopefully sooner rather than later. Today on Dirty Linen, we are chatting to someone who is building a restaurant dream in Carlton, in Melbourne, and it is a lovely place to eat. Lagoon Dining is owned by three hospitality professionals, and today we are chatting to front of house man Chris Lurch. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Hey, Danny. Nice to be with you. Good to be speaking with you. Well, I was just looking at the Lagoon menu in preparation for this chat and it made me feel really happy and really wistful because I can't eat the food right now. It's not that long since I was there, only a couple of months ago. Uh, but c- can you just pretend that you are bringing me some food? Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe the kimchi fried rice? Yeah, absolutely. So are you after a menu introduction or, <laughs> or talk to you about what it is? No, yeah, like I've ordered it because I know it's going to be good and you're putting it in front of me and you're just describing what I'm about to enjoy. Yeah, so this is um, kimchi fried rice um, with hamon uh, and crispy white bait. What I'm seeing is glistening rice, like you just, every grain is lubricated and shiny and sort of separate, but you can tell that it's a little bit sticky. Yeah. And you can smell the spice, uh, but there's also this sort of salty umami kind of cloud. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, the kimchi fried rice. So, I mean, you know, the versions that we've had of fried rice on our menu um, since we've opened have, have always been a highlight. But um, this version is um, particularly <laughs> outstanding. Um, the kimchi is something that we actually ferment in-house ourselves. So, I mean, that goes through, I think it's a, it's a, ultimately a two-week process um, through all the different aromats, including like shrimp paste and chili um, and then wombok. Um, the hamon we source from actually Skinner and Hackett up the road in North Carlton, so they provide that um, for us. I guess the, the shiny or the glistening element probably comes from there's a little bit of chicken fat that is used um, during the cooking process um, as well. Um, the rice that we use is toyoyama, which is a Japanese short grain rice, and when you make fried rice, well, when we make our fried rice, um, it's always cooked and then it's cooled overnight. So um, you can actually kind of see each grain of rice as well too. And then obviously that adds to the character profile and also the textual, I guess, the mouthfeel as well too. And then the crispy white bait, um, I don't know where the idea from adding <laughs> the I mean, crispy is obviously a textual element as well too. But, um, yeah, just that saltiness kind of rounds out the entire dish. I mean, Fried rice is good eaten with any of our kind of saucy, you know, more protein-driven um, dishes, but that dish on its own, um, just a big bowl of it, is like something to definitely look forward to once we come out of, you know, this current lockdown. So um, Totally. Oh, my God. I'm just 
dying as you're describing it. But, you know, I think last time I was there, uh, I took some of the rice home. I, we, we knew we were over-ordering on purpose so that there'd be some rice to take home. But you know what's happened is that I never actually get to eat it. It goes, it, I put it in the fridge and then it always gets snaffled. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a bit of, it's a bit of a problem. Maybe I need to double, double order next time so that I can hide some rice in the back of the fridge for myself. Um, but you, you know, as you talk about that dish, it really, to me, it really speaks to what Lagoon is all about because you've got, you know, so many different influences showing there, you know, from the, you know, the, the supplier that you love up the road to, um, you know, the Japanese rice, but it also makes me think of Hainanese chicken rice, which is also, you know, such a, such a, I guess, classic in different parts of Asia, um, with you know the influence of that those the Hakka cuisine in yeah different many parts of of the world, uh, it's such a celebration of difference, but somehow really cohesive. I mean, tell me how you think about Lagoon and the project that you've got there. Well, I guess I guess the flute influence. I mean, that's really kind of testament to um, you know my two business partners, um, Keith and Ned. I mean, they really really drive that menu, but. I guess if we're kind of talking about, you know, a food influence or where that comes from, you know, we do get, you know, inspiration or influence from, you know, China and the many um, regions or cooking styles um, throughout. Um, but, yeah, we also then, you know, flitter into different parts of Southeast Asia and also, um, you know, Japan as well too, um, Malaysia and Thailand. Um, I guess that we probably don't, you know, pinpoint the food influence on one specific style of cuisine or one specific um, country, you know, um, I think when we were starting out with Lagoon, we thought that we would like be venturing into more um, Southeast Asian flavors or taking influence from those countries. But then, um, as Keith and Ned started to create the menu and create dishes, you know, they found that they were using more ingredients um, that were Chinese specific. And I mean, obviously, there's Chinese ingredients throughout um, all parts of Asia, but um, particularly, you know, regions of um, Sichuan or Cantonese or, or Taiwan. So um, I guess we kind of lean towards the Chinese <laughs> characteristics, but we don't solely um, identify, you know, with or, you know, identify as being a Chinese restaurant or solely Chinese influence. I mean, I think the Tartare is like a really, really good example of where, you know, that blending has come through. You know, there's influence, you know, in that Tartare mix, there's like a shallot jam as well as, um, you know, radish, and then you're mixing creme fraiche, and then you're mis mixing like green chili and Szechuan. So um, I think it's really up to, you know, Keith and Ned should take all the credit for that. <laughs> They're the creative minds behind, um, you know, all the, all the food influences. And I mean, that's just a reflection of, you know, their personalities and their skill and, and, and their interest. Yeah. And doesn't the tartare come with Chinese donuts as well, those fried long donuts? <laughs> Yeah, it comes with the Chinese donuts, which is always warmly received from <laughs> by everyone. <laughs> from gluttons like me. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, no, no. It's it's everyone loves a Chinese donut, particularly a fried Chinese donut. And then, you know, when you add those elements of cream and you know raw beef, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a good time. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, give us a little bit of the backstory of Lagoon. Um, I know you guys have come from fine dining. Tell us tell us the story. Um, yeah, so um, Keith, Ned and I, we all worked together at Ezard many, many years ago. The, they were apprentices and I were working on the floor. 
Um, and then we just kind of, um, you know, you kind of just notice things about each other's personalities and the way that you work together. And then, um, you know, just your interests, I guess, outside of hospitality as well, too. Um, so um, we started to, I mean, it was just always kind of a loose idea you know, when, you know, this is probably six or seven years ago, um, you know, you, and that was kind of before any, you know, real um, confirmation or we'd have decided, hey, um, we're actually going to do this. Um, you know, we would just discuss different ideas or what we like to do and what we liked, in, you know, in restaurants and, you know, there were similarities there. Um, and then as we kind of worked through the ranks and moved up through into different roles and different positions and people went off and travelled and then came back to Melbourne, um, we kind of still always shared this idea or this concept that, hey, potentially if there was an opportunity, then the three of us would um, try and see what we could do or what we could get off the ground. And we actually have a fourth business partner as well too. So um, Susan came on board with us and then that's kind of when we went, all right, well, we can actually, you know, start to look into <laughs> securing a site and um, thinking a little bit more about, you know, the size and what we were, what we were trying to achieve. So, I mean, all, I think it's taken, yeah, probably five or six years, I think, you know, from the initial thought process and then it took at least 12 months of getting off the ground um, to opening in November of 2019. I mean, six months prior to that was all, you know, when all the plans were laid and, you know, all the infrastructure was developed and, you know, you start working on menus and looking at beverage lists and staffing and all those other bits and bobs that go along with opening a venue. Um, I mean, it's you didn't have long before we plunged into the pandemic, did you? But, I mean, I, th I feel like even though it's been so stop-start and, you know, frankly traumatic, you have been able to not only, I guess, create an identity but also develop it as the restaurant has matured even though, yeah, it's been such a challenging time. Like how would you describe what you're going for like what is your style of hospitality and, and what do you bring from fine dining to I mean it's not a casual restaurant but it's definitely you know it feels youthful and nimble and kind of very contemporary yeah I mean that was always our intention we wanted to create a space where obviously we would like to dine um and we wanted people to always feel welcome and we wanted it to be genuine and we wanted it to feel generous um and then obviously we wanted it to be flavorsome so I guess, you know, casual probably isn't the right word for it, but because, you know, everything that we deliver, we kind of deliver to, you know, it needs to be seamless and it needs to be executed really, really well. And, you know, we want each dish to stand, you know, beside each other dish. Um, you know, the elements of service, um, I guess, are influenced by fine dining as well too. So, um, yeah, we want, you know, it just needs, to, and it needs to be comfortable as well too. So, I think it has taken us a little bit of time and despite, you know, opening in November and then closing in March, we did have four months of really, really strong trade. So, you know, we were able to, you know, establish ourselves and build a customer base and, you know, as much preparation as you can put into opening a restaurant and, you know, you, you know, in your mind, you have all these systems down packed and the way things will always translate i mean once you're in a building and once you're in services you know it doesn't always kind of go that way but i guess that's kind of when you start to lean on your experience and your knowledge and you can adapt quite easily but you know we're very fortunate that in that first four months that we were open we were able to build such 
a loyal kind of customer base. But I guess, you know, our, our style of hospitality is just, you know, we just want people to have a good time with us. We want it to be memorable. Um, we want them to be thinking about us when they leave and we want them to be excited for when they come back to us. Mm. I mean, I think about, you know, it's an open kitchen and there's woks flashing and there's this, the sound and the smoke of that. But then it's also it, there is a, a real, I suppose, a sense of poise in the dining room. I think it's partly because of the way that it's lit. Like I think there is this sort of you do really create the zones even though, yeah, the kitchen's open. I mean, is does that resonate with you? I mean, is that are you sort of trying to create a sort of, it's like the space does a few different jobs, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's kind of where um, I guess our backgrounds and, you know, working in fine dining kind of come into it. And I mean, I think that's the element of design as well too. And I think that's, you know, also, you know, what creates essentially a restaurant experience is all those different elements or all those different visuals or, you know, all those different sounds or all those different emotions, you know, you know as, a, as a diner. Mm. which are all the things we're missing out on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> in, absolutely. In sadly. lockdown number six, even as you say, yeah. you know, we were open for four months and we went into lockdown last March. I mean, it, it was crazy enough as it was, but it, it just would have been unthinkable then to say, yeah, six lockdowns later. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that is just kind of most challenging. And I think, you know, particularly the, after this current one is that, you know, after we came out of our big long lockdowns last year we thought that we had you know that we would never go into lockdown again I mean I guess that was in the back of our mind that there was always that potential but you know I think that we all thought that we've we've done the work and we've you know spent the time now or we've done the time essentially and that you know we were moving in direction where lockdowns were hopefully going to be a thing of the past but um you know, obviously they're not <laughs> still, but I mean, and I think this last one kind of, you know, was even a little bit more challenging just because of the time frame in terms of the way that, you know, it was, you know, four o'clock and then, you know, we were done and dusted by eight and, you know, it was only two weeks prior to that, you know, we were in a, you know, had just come out of another lockdown. So um, there definitely are challenges with that. And I guess, you know, trying to keeping positive and looking towards the future is, you know, one thing to kind of help you move through all those different emotions. But, you know, we we remain positive and we know that hopefully, you know, there will be an outcome which is not going into lockdowns when we do have outbreaks. So, I mean, that's what kind of keeps us positive and keeps us looking towards the future. Yeah, it is really, really tough. And to maintain a positive attitude is such a, a challenge. Are you guys doing a takeaway through this period? Yeah, we are. We, I mean, the the way that you kind of like switch now is is quite familiar. So, um, you know, we do our ready to eat stuff, and then we offer takeaway on the weekend. So, you know, it's it's not the same. Obviously, it's not the kind of same revenue as you would take as you're operating as a restaurant. But you know, it is a little bit of revenue. I mean, it gets your brand out there. I mean, you know, all of our loyal guests get excited, you know, for us, and you know, we still see them popping by, you know. Um, to collect their food on Fridays and Saturdays. So, um, you know, that's what keeps us motivated and that's what keeps us positive. What do you think you've learned about, about Melbourne and perhaps the hospitality industry in particular through this period? 
Yeah, um, it's actually been really super encouraging, to be honest. Um, I think the, you know, the amount of care or the amount of interest that people have shown um, towards, you know, the hospitality industry and particularly to us as well, too, um, has been super, super generous. So, um, you know, I think that pre-pandemic and pre-lockdowns, you know, you would ask someone how they were and you would engage in conversation with them. But, um, you know, which, which, which was which was genuine. But I think there is that real kind of interest now in saying, hey, actually, how are you going? Um, you know, how are things, you know, you know, what's the future looking like for you and how are you feeling? So I think Melbourne has been particularly resilient in terms of the timeframes that we've had to go through lockdowns and, um, you know, the frequency of them as well, too. But yeah, I think I've, you know, you know, we feel very, very supported. So, um, you know, despite, you know, the challenges, you know, around, you know, the financial commitments that you have and, you know, your employees and your staff, um, you know, it, it, there is a lot of, you know, I feel like there's a lot of community support. So, you know, that's been amazing. Mm. I mean, I guess it, it, it became a little bit easier to talk about mental health in the hospitality industry even before the pandemic. And I think in society generally, it's like people have started to find, I guess, permission or room or courage to speak more openly about uh, challenges with staying positive and feeling on top of things. I mean, do you think that that's sort of accelerated or expanded because of this period or because I suppose people's people just can't pretend to be okay when things are so tough? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's opened up, you know, loads of conversations around. I mean, hospitality, you know, prior to the pandemic, there was, you know, a lot of discussion around um, mental health as well, too. So, I mean, I think this just has opened, you know, up that discussion even more. So, um, you know, which is which is amazing, I think, for, you know, any any industry or, or for people in, in general. Is there anything that you and your business partners have thought, well, you know, we've had this opportunity to reflect uh, and we're, we are going to do things a bit differently, whether it's in the terms of the business structure or the things that you do outside of work or the way that you communicate with, with the team and those around you? Um, I think that we've remained, you know, pretty consistent in terms of our delivery, I guess. You know, having periods of time where you're not actually in service gives you a little moment to breathe and some time to reflect and think about, you know, the direction of the business and, you know, how we operate. Um, you know, as as individuals, as or as a partnership as well. Um, I mean, I think the value of people. You know, we've had some staff with us from day one, as you know, which is just incredibly loyal. Um, you know, in, incredibly generous, and you know, th- you know, they're checking in with, with us as well too. So, I mean, I just think you know that level of care. Um, you know, and just the those relationships. You know, have been you know cemented even more. So, I mean, there are some th- you know there are some positives which have come out you know, of, of all of this. Mm, yeah. Um, I started the day this morning by listening to my brother podcast, Deep in the Weeds, and there was a beautiful chat with Sam Gowing, who's just a fantastic person, one of my faves. And one of the things, you know, she grew up in hospitality and um, really, you know, is a big fan of the art of dining and something that she said, she felt like through, I guess, the period where dining's become a bit more accessible and casualized that she also felt there'd been a, la- a reduction in the appreciation for front of house and you know the art of hospitality uh what what do you think about that and you know did you get into the industry because you know you you really believed in it or was it something that you fell into 
Um, I think it's something that I've always really believed in because I've always had, you know, such a strong influence or such a strong interest in food. So, um, you know, I think service um, is particularly, you know, is is incredibly valued, particularly in Melbourne. Um, I think that, um, yeah, that, you know, I feel that, you know, people really appreciate service. People appreciate communication. Um, People are looking for, you know, interest people who are intelligent who you know understand their product who know how to kind of guide a guest from you know start to finish um you know that can make suggestions um yeah mm. how did you get into the industry um i just started working as <laughs> like a young teenager um in like a golf club in central queensland or in coastal queensland um and then i just worked in different restaurants you know this is back in in queensland over the years and then from larger venues and then kind of went into smaller venues um and i think that's where you know being in smaller venues run by sole operators um where you know there was the food was a little bit more creative um your the, the guests were more interactive um there was more interest um and then eventually just moved through to um you know other restaurants within melbourne and then finally i spent most of my time um you know at Ezard where i started on the floor and then I, in you know i worked up until a restaurant manager and then it kind of came to that time where hey we you know we want to do something something on my own Mm. I mean, Ezard closed last year after two decades of just like just having such an important place in Melbourne's dining pantheon. How do you reflect on that restaurant? Um, it was an amazing experience for me. Like I just think that there's so much that, you know, I personally took from there in terms of, and it's, yeah, service standards and service sequences and, you know, the value of your guests and how much time that you would spend with people and, you know, the amount of attention to detail. And I just think the amount of joy that people had when they dined there was just incredible. Like, um, you know, that it was, you know, always a special experience for people, um, you know, and it was an investment as well too for them. Obviously, it's at the high end of the spectrum. So, um, and there was that expectation that you had to live up to it. And, you know, you'd go through these, you know, super busy services across the weekends, you know, delivering at this same level. And I don't know, there's a real sense of achievement. And I mean, I just, you know, we've, you know, so many of the guests that have dined with Ezard, you know, now stop by Lagoon as well, too. And it's just, you know, it's, you kind of think, oh, will I ever see that person again? Or will I? ever interact with them again <laughs> and then you know you've you know they, they they walk through the doors of lagoon which is just um you know amazing i think it has just like a special place in in you know you know many people's minds and i guess yeah hearts as well too absolutely i mean do you do you still think there's a place for that level of dining yeah i totally do i think that going to a restaurant to a high-end restaurant or to a fine dining venue um is an experience i mean there's nothing I mean, it's exciting, it's pleasurable. Um, it's probably something that, you know, for most of us that we don't do every day. Um, you know, there's an element of es- escapism. It's, yeah, it's, it's emotional. So um, I think absolutely there is, a, there is a still place for that level of dining within hospitality. I think we need it as well too. <laughs> you know, I admire, you know, restaurateurs that, you know, are, are opening venues of that. I mean, that's inspiring for us, knowing that people are committing to, you know, these high-end venues and, you know, fine dining. Well, you know, at the moment it might not be as accessible to everyone, but, 
you know, I'm confident that, you know, in months or years to come that, yeah, they'll definitely, you know, across all the levels of hospitality, you know, they'll be strengthening, you know, in all venues. Yeah, I think we've definitely come to appreciate the value of experiences when so many of our experiences have been curtailed. I, I, I really, I definitely agree with you. I think there will always be a place for those, um, yeah, those high-end restaurants that deliver something that you just, you really can't do except at a certain price point and in a certain environment. Yeah, definitely always, I hope, will be part of the tapestry. Um Chris, I feel like we need to talk a little bit about wine because you are a really great wine communicator and I know I've tried some some really interesting wines that I you know perhaps wouldn't have known you know I wouldn't have known what I was drinking unless you explained it to me what's what's your approach to drink service um well I guess lagoon when we you know when we looked at our beverage list we wanted to make it accessible <laughs> obviously from you know so we wanted to make it accessible as well as so you know the various different price points as well um there's always challenges when matching food with or matching you know wine and beverages um, with spice as well too. So, um, you know, our beverage list is concise and we have support from one of our friends, Ben Skipper, who um, takes care of our list for for us. Um, yeah, we just wanted, to, um, but as we've kind of moved through Lagoon, we've noticed that there's more demand for obviously more premium wines too. So um, we've expanded that along the way, but we try and just keep everything. We try and mix it up. I mean, a lot of our suppliers and distributors have had challenges with importing wine. So, I mean, that you know, creates, well, that, that means that things are not on the list for as long as probably what, you know, they were, they were first intended to be. Um, but, you know, wine and wine is like part of the service experience as well, too. I mean, it's an introduction. Um, a lot of the varieties that we have, people aren't familiar with. So, you know, there's opportunity for conversation there as well. Um, and then our cocktails and beverages, you know, that's all designed to complement our food offering as well, too. So, I mean, everything, and, you know, we, we, we try and change all of our beverages and cocktails, at least with, with every season as well, too. So, um, but, yeah, we, we, it's stuff that we like to drink, <laughs> you know, it's stuff that we enjoy. Um, and yeah, we just like to keep it mixed, mix it up. Mm. Oh, it's making me thirsty. Uh, so Chris, vaccination is a topic that, uh, is very much in the news. Is it a conversation that, um, you find people in the hospitality industry having, you know, are you vaccinated? Are you getting vaccinated? Should we all be vaccinated? Should our diners be vaccinated? What, what are the kinds of conversations that you're having? Um, I think there's been a little bit of hesitation around talking about vaccination initially. I mean, I guess from, you know, between myself and, you know, guests and people that I've um, interacted with. But I think within hospitality um, at the moment now, then everyone is pro-vaccination. Um, and, you know, I would encourage everyone to get vaccinated if they're eligible, obviously. Um, I guess around the vaccination passports, I mean, I'm, I, I'll be curious to see how this would transpire and um, what people's responses are to it. But ideally, we just want to be in a position where our business can remain open and, and we can trade. And if that requires, um, you know, vaccination passports or, you know, higher rates of vaccination, then um, I guess that's kind of where it, that's where it needs to be at. Mm, yeah, whatever does the job and we can yeah, well, yeah, get yeah, back to doing the things it. we love again. Yeah, that's it. That's it. But, um, yeah, that's... What would you say to 
your fellow restaurateurs and hospo workers, Chris, you know, you've, I think you've got a pretty positive attitude for people who are just doing it really tough and finding it hard to stay upbeat and see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, what would you say to them? Well, what I always kind of say <laughs> to myself is that, you know, this will eventually pass and we will get through this. Um, you know, the future is not always going to be, you know, we're not going to spend, you know, time in lockdowns forever that, you know, there will be an outcome and, you know, the hospitality industry will bounce back and um, all the things that we've missed out on over the last 18 months, they will eventually, you know, come back to us and the freedoms that we've lost and um, we'll be able to start to en- enjoy those again soon. Like, and I, and I really believe that that time will, is hopefully sooner rather than later. And will there be glistening kimchi fried rice at the end of the road? <laughs> there will be. There will be. Um, we were just, I mean, I guess that's one of the other things that keeps us really positive is that, we you know, we're talking about menu discussions and what the rest of the year looks like at the moment. So, um, but there will definitely be glistening kimchi fried rice <laughs> on our menu <laughs> and available and available. Okay. I'm so there for that. Um, Chris, thank you so much for having a chat today. It's really been fantastic to hear um, what the Lagoon vibe is all about. Um, and yeah, really appreciate you sharing your story with Dirty Linen. Amazing. Thanks, Danny. Great to speak with you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is...